Hello, everyone, and welcome to our latest Regulation Around the World podcast. My name is Simon Lovegrove, Global Director of Financial Services Knowledge here at Morton Rose Fulbright. In our Regulation Around the World series, a cross-border team of financial services lawyers focus on key trends in the industry and uncover the varying regulatory issues across multiple jurisdictions. In this issue of Regulation Around the World, we take a look at financial services regulatory development concerning ESG, focusing in particular on disclosures, taxonomy, and greenwashing. In our written update, which accompanies this podcast, we explore ESG financial services developments in over 10 jurisdictions. Some of the headlines from the update include that, for example, in the United Kingdom, the Financial Conduct Authority has published a consultation setting out proposals for a UK sustainable disclosure regime and general anti-greenwashing rules. The policy statement containing the final rules is expected this quarter. In Europe, there's been a lot of activity. For instance, the European supervisory authorities are expected to follow up on their earlier consultation and publish a final report to the European Commission setting out proposed amendments to the disclosure framework under the Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation or SFDR. The ESAs have also recently published a report on the extent of voluntary disclosure of principal adverse impacts under the SFDR, and the Commission has itself issued a targeted consultation on the SFDR. Also, it's worth noting that there's been an interesting speech from the European Central Bank on the risks of climate and environment-related litigation for the banking sector. Moving to the Netherlands, the Dutch Authority for Financial Markets has issued a final version of its guideline and sustainability claims. In France, France has established the Climate and Sustainable Finance Commission, and its work includes the publication of a position on climate resolutions. Moving to Luxembourg, the CSSF has updated FAQs on the SFDR, reminding financial market participants that the information required under the regulation to be easily accessible, simple, fair, clear, and not misleading, and that this requirement also applies to fund names. Moving further afield in the UAE, the UAE Sustainable Finance Working Group has launched a consultation on proposed principles for sustainability-related disclosures for reporting entities. In Hong Kong, the Hong Kong Monetary Authority issued earlier this year its first standalone annual sustainability report, and in Singapore, the Monetary Authority of Singapore has introduced disclosure and reporting guidelines for retail ESG funds to mitigate greenwashing risks. Finally, moving down to Australia, we're waiting for the Australian government to follow up on its earlier consultation, proposing a mandatory climate change-related disclosure regime. And in South Africa, the Prudential Authority has issued a consultation on a proposed guidance note on climate-related risk practices. In addition to work conducted by national regulators, there's also been a lot of activity from international financial services regulators and networks. Most notably, the International Sustainability Standards Board has published its first two standards, IFRS S1 and IFRS S2. In the summer, we saw the Financial Stability Board publish its 2023 progress report on the roadmap for addressing climate-related financial risks. And at the beginning of September, the network of central banks and supervisors for greening the financial system published two reports on climate-related litigation, which highlights recent trends in the area. 
And also on the 19th of September, the Task Force on Nature-Related Financial Disclosures published its recommendations to help businesses and financial institutions integrate nature-related issues into decision-making, risk management, and disclosures. So that's a brief rundown of the highlights in our written update, which accompanies this podcast. In terms of the podcast, I'm joined by Norton Rose Fulbright colleagues from the United Kingdom, the Netherlands, Singapore, and Dubai, who will provide further views and analysis of developments in their jurisdiction. So let's start with the United Kingdom, and taking us through developments is Hani Sadar, Norton Rose Fulbright's Managing Director of Risk Consulting, EMEA. Hani, thanks for joining us today. I want to start with disclosures. Now, last October, the UK Financial Conduct Authority, FCA, issued a consultation paper containing draft sustainable disclosure rules and a general anti-greenwashing rule. The consultation closed at the end of January this year. Then in March, the FCA issued an update stating that given the significant response to its consultation, it intended to delay the publication of its policy statement until Q3 this year. So far, at the time of recording this podcast, the policy statement still hasn't been published. Penny, what do you make of that? Hi, thanks, Simon, and hello to everyone. Um, So the current position is that we're expecting the policy statement sometime in Q4 this year. As the FCA has said, the delay is due to the volume of responses to the consultation and the importance of this subject. Now, obviously, this means that there remains ambiguity for firms that are within scope of the FCA proposals. But many in the market still feel that the general anti-greenwashing will remain unchanged. When we see the FCA's final rules, many of them will be subject to a transitional period. But the anti-greenwashing rule will most likely come into effect immediately as consulted on. Therefore, while we wait for the policy statement, firms should really be thinking about how the anti-greenwashing rule might affect them um, and across their product universe, the various different types of statements and responsibilities that could be affected by further legislation. Fair point. Thanks, Hani. Um, I think it's worth noting that whilst the FCA has tried to take into account existing and proposed disclosure regimes in other jurisdictions, there will be some differences, particularly as regards Europe and the United States. So overseas firms making disclosures in the UK will need to keep this in mind when the final rules are published. Uh, Could you just mention a couple of key points that overseas firms will need to think about? Yes, of course, Simon. Now, the starting point is that the UK's regime is a labelling regime rather than a disclosures regime. So where products don't meet the proposed qualifying criteria, they won't be able to use any of the proposed investment labels. That's a really important differentiator. The second point to note is that unlike the EU's sustainable finance disclosure regulation, the FCA is not requiring disclosure of principal adverse impacts and is instead opting to update its disclosures in line with more specific standards from the International Sustainability Standards Board, ISSB. Incidentally, the FCA is also not proposing to include do not significant harm, which it considers to be far too restrictive. Third, whilst the FCA's proposals require pre-contractual disclosures, website disclosures and periodic disclosures, it isn't unlike the EU proposing to introduce templates and is instead encouraging the industry to do so. From a US perspective, under its current disclosure proposals, The Securities and Exchange Commission are proposing that disclosures on ESG strategy be set out in a table 
Now, the FCA isn't proposing to introduce a specific table or template for any of its disclosure requirements. The FCA isn't also requiring XBRL tagging for machine readability at this stage. Okay, thanks for that. And just keeping with the FCA's proposals for a moment, are overseas products that are offered in the UK in scope? Yeah, in its consultation paper, the FCA focuses on funds and portfolio management based in the UK. This is really important, especially in the UK financial services market, which is rich in various different products um, that have a green slant to it. However, it does say that it will issue a separate consultation on how its proposals may be applied in respect of overseas funds. The FCA wants to do this as it sees over funds being an important part of the overall regime. And it wants UK retail investors be able to trust all products offered in the UK market, indeed with many of them having an overseas slant. There is also one other thing to bear in mind. The FCA is acutely aware of the importance of a product's name, which is one of the first things a retail investor reads or hear about in a product. In its proposal, the regulator is suggesting restrictions around names and sustainability related terms. And that's a really important point around this concept of labeling. Where a prohibited sustainability related term is being used for the naming and marketing of overseas products, there are recognized schemes, including um, exchange traded funds, then distributors of those products to re UK retail investors will have to add a notice on that product in which they will alert UK retail investors that the product is based overseas and is not subject to the FCA's label, investment labelling and disclosures requirement. The notice will need to be placed in a very prominent position on the relevant di digital medium, for example, um, product website, mobile application, and should be accompanied by a hyperlink to an FCA web page, which will then set out what the labelling and disclosure requirements are for retail investors that wish to know more. This will be a temporary approach until the FCA issues its consultation on overseas funds and ultimately finalises its rules. Okay, thanks, Hanny. Now, you mentioned earlier the International Sustainability Standards Board, or ISSB. As many of our listeners will be aware, the ISSB publishes its inaugural standards during the summer, and these become effective on the 1st of January next year. In August, the UK government started its process to endorse the ISSB standards with the Department for Business and Trade issuing guidance on the UK government's framework to create UK sustainability disclosure standards by assessing and endorsing the ISSB standards. The Financial Reporting Council has also issued a call for evidence on the application of the ISSB standards, and that closed on the 11th of October. The FCA also issued a very helpful primary market bulletin number 45, which amongst other things outlined the key features of the regulator's process for implementing the standards and plans for consultation. So there's a lot already going on, but many firms will be asking themselves, what should they be doing now? What should they be doing at the moment? What do you think, Hannay? Yeah, Simon, a really interesting question. And in my view, many firms will want to respond to the FRC's call for evidence. Many firms will be asking themselves how all of this impacts their existing strategy with the continued focus on ESG and a number of different conflict, conflicting messages that they're having to grapple with. I think here, proposals may lead to either a calibration, refocus or enhancement of existing thinking. However, it's important to note that even the smallest changes 
can be impactful as they start to filter down through an organization and to various investors in the marketplace. Okay, thanks. So let's now move on to the taxonomy. Uh, the UK onshored the EU taxonomy regulation at the point of Brexit. Its disclosure provisions, which only started to apply in 2022, were not. Schedule 1 to the Financial Services and Markets Act uh, 2023 sets out a list of onshored EU legislative acts that will be repealed, and this includes the onshored EU taxonomy regulation. So what can we expect to see next? Certainly, Simon. In its updated green finance strategy, the UK government said that it expected to consult on a UK taxonomy in autumn 2023. Now, the UK government has appointed an independent expert group, the Green Technical Advisory Group, or GTAG, to provide non-binding advice on the design and implementation of a UK green taxonomy for financial and non-financial firms. The GTAG has already been very busy publishing a number of papers, including one focusing on the key performance indicators that should be used in taxonomy reporting, and one providing recommendations on how activities previously considered environmentally sustainable are affected when this new green taxonomy is implemented. Key message here is there'll be a lot more to watch out for from the GTAG in the coming months. Thanks, Annie. And as my final question, I wanted to turn to greenwashing. And I'm particularly mindful that we saw a, a short while ago a speech from across the channel by the European Central Bank warning that litigants are coming after banks come hell or high water. I mean, Annie, what did you make of that speech? Yeah, really important again, Simon. An interesting ECB speech. Um, and there was a very interesting section covering how banks can address climate-related litigation risk. Now, from a UK perspective, I think the FCA is certainly stepping up its supervisory engagement on sustainable finance and enhancing, it, enhancing its enforcement strategy, enforcement strategy so firms must be prepared. In the summer, my colleague Katie Stevens produced a useful client briefing on 10 key steps to reduce the risk of a greenwashing regulatory inquiry. It contains some very useful information for firms, and I would urge you to read it. For example, the note picked up on the point of firms having adequate resources and training. Now, it is critical that firms allocate sufficient resources uh, to this subject, um, and in particular, um, be adequately informed about developments in a very fast-moving marketplace um, in terms of ESG including regulatory and industry guidance, which is also really important, but also to ensure sufficient time and effort is spent on ensuring any environmental claims and disclosures do not overreach and are fully supported. Now, as part of this, firms must ensure that adequate training is delivered internally, including in relation to greenwashing and regulatory expectations regarding ESG issues and the risks in this area. I would also finally point on this training um, that it should be calibrated to the various different parts of the bank, but ensure that it's disseminated to a wider group as possible. Thanks, Annie. Uh, just picking up on your point regarding firms being adequately informed about developments, obviously we, you've mentioned a lot going on with uh, GTAG, uh, FCA up in its supervision in the sustainable finance arena, FCA soon to publish policy statement, awful lot going on. And we've also launched a new ESG updater. Indeed, we have. Now, on the Norton Rose Fulbright website, we have a dedicated microsite called Financial Services Regulatory, De Regulatory Development in ESG. This microsite contains the latest podcasts and briefing notes 
that the London Financial Services team produces on this subject. We also produce free of charge a monthly ESG updater which tracks key regulatory developments in the ESG space in the UK, but also in the EU, France and the US. It also covers papers produced by international regulatory authorities, such as the FSB and also the ISSB, as we've just been speaking about. If firms would like to subscribe to this newsletter, please do get in touch with me. That's great, Hanny. Thanks very much for your time today. So that concludes the UK section of this podcast. So now we'll move on to Singapore. Thank you, Simon. Thanks, everyone. So in this part of the podcast, I'm joined by Wilson Ang, a partner in our Singapore office, and also Claire Lee, an associate director in Ascendant Legal LLC. Wilson, perhaps you could take my first question. On 7th July 2023, the International Sustainability Standards Board issued its first two international sustainability standards. Now, the standards are intended to be a global baseline for corporate disclosure of climate and sustainability-related information. Uh, Could you tell our listeners how Singapore has responded to the standards? Sure, Simon. Um, Thanks for the question. I think a global baseline for corporate disclosure of climate and sustainability-related information is really necessary to promote a simple, consistent, and effective regulatory environment for all the parties involved, may they be the firms, regulators, or the financial authorities. Now, Singapore has expressed overwhelming support for the ISSB standards. The Monetary Authority of Singapore really welcomes uh, the standard and wants to work to integrate this global reporting framework into the disclosure requirements of both financial institutions and listed companies. And just really in keeping with this commitment, Singapore's Accounting and Corporate Regulatory Authority, or ACRA, as well as the Singapore Exchange Regulations Company, or SGX RegCo, launched a public consultation on these related recommendations to expect public and private companies to provide climate-related disclosures which are aligned with these standards. So these currently, these climate reporting obligations only apply to listed companies in specific sectors, such as finance, agriculture, food, um, forest products, and energy, which is which are aligned with the task force on climate-related financial disclosures. Or, um, and these, however, the recommendations by ECRA and SGX RegCo really seek to broaden the scope of these obligations such that they even include uh, all listed issuers, regardless of sector or origin, as well as business trust um, and real estate investment trust, who will then be expected to provide climate reporting from financial year 2025. It will also be broadened to include non-listed companies with revenues of at least 1 billion Singapore dollars, as well as um, these companies that are subject to mandatory climate reporting will have to uh, obtain external assurance on certain types of greenhouse gas emissions two years after the mandatory requirements take effect. So these public consultations were recently concluded on the 30th of September, and we are watching this space uh, uh, with, with, with keenness. Moving forward, I think Singapore will continue to advocate for a global framework of sustainability disclosures based on these ISSB standards. And this was um, recently reiterated in the Singapore 
financial dialogue with the UK held in late July of this year. Okay, thanks, Wilson. Uh, Claire, um, almost two years ago, the Monetary Authority of Singapore issued guidelines on environmental risk management to financial institutions. Uh, I wonder if you could tell our listeners why the guidelines are important and also what progress have financial institutions in Singapore made in implementing them? Thanks, Simon. Now, these uh, guidelines by the Monetary Authority of Singapore, or the MAS, uh, really set out its supervisory expectations around effective governance, robust risk management, and meaningful disclosure of environmental-related risks. And the guidelines are focused mainly on the banking and insurance sectors, as well as funds and asset managers. Um, these guidelines from the MAS are really important because we know that environmental risk poses significant financial impact on the portfolios and activities of, of financial institutions in particular uh, through physical and transition risks. And so these guidelines are aimed at enhancing the resilience, the management of environmental risk uh, by financial institutions through setting out sound risk management practices to be adopted on the ground. According to um, uh, a paper, according to an information paper by the MAS in May of 2022, there has been some progress, uh, but also some way to go in the uh, implementation of these guidelines. Uh, in particular, for banks and insurers, the MAS found that there were varying stages of progress in integrating environmental risk considerations uh, into risk management frameworks and processes. So in particular, it was found by uh, the MAS that Apart from climate-related risks, uh, banks and insurers have yet to make meaningful progress at addressing other environmental risk factors such as biodiversity loss. And we do hear, uh, we do read of the challenges cited by the banks, such as the lack of readily available data that is reliable, comparable, and which really does reinforce the need for global baseline standards as we are covering on, on this uh, podcast. Um, we also know that the banks and financial institutions, insurers, are facing challenges with managing increasing shareholder scrutiny. Uh, it is really a balance between the shareholders' desire for a swift transition and at the same time supporting an orderly and well-managed tra transition. And um, for asset managers, it's very much similar. Um, while there is uh, some signs that most asset managers have realized the significance of managing environmental risks and have begun to adopt the relevant policies and procedures. There is still more work needed to incorporate these practices uh, within day-to-day -day business activities in a consequential manner. Uh, so there is some way to go, but the MAS has emphasized the importance of setting concrete and tangible targets in line with these guidelines and has committed to supporting um, these financial institutions. So uh, we do look forward to even greater realization and implementation of these guidelines to come. Okay, thank you, Claire. I'm um, just to stay with you for a moment. Uh, could you just take our listeners through what progress Singapore has made in developing its own taxonomy? This uh, Singapore has been consistently developing its own taxonomy, what we'll refer to as the Singapore-Asia taxonomy. And this is primarily done through the Green Finance Industry Task Force, the GFIT or the task force. Um, the task force was convened by MAS in 2019 to help accelerate the development of green finance 
uh, in part through developing this taxonomy of Singapore-based financial institutions and with particular relevance to those which are active across ASEAN. So in the past years, uh, since 2021, the task force has been releasing consultation papers. And just on 28th June this year, a fourth and final consultation paper has been released, which seeks views on detailed thresholds, criteria uh, for early phase-out of coal-fired power plants under the Singapore-Asia taxonomy. And um, this, this inclusion of managed coal phase-out is critical for energy transition in the Asia-Pacific region because uh, coal accounts for nearly 60% of power generation and a third of greenhouse gas emissions. So with all these consultations, the task force is expected to finalize the full Singapore-Asia taxonomy uh, this year, 2023. And I think uh, one key feature to note is that the taxonomy is autochthonous, but it's also designed to be consistent with and aligned with other taxonomies, in particular, the EU taxonomy and the ASEAN taxonomy for finance, sustainable finance. And um, this is really meant to ensure interoperability and I think one, one key feature which is unique to the Singapore uh, taxonomy is this traffic light approach, which classifies economic activities by green for sustainable, environmentally sustainable activities, amber for activities that are uh, a work in progress and red for harmful activities. So we do look forward to seeing the full taxonomy very soon. Um, a very welcome move to increase alignment and transparency um, and to combat greenwashing, to direct funds to, you know, really green or ember activities, and to overall facilitate the move to a cleaner and greener economy. Okay, thank you, Claire. Uh, Wilson, if I could come back to you now. Um, as I think all of our listeners know, greenwashing is a key regulatory issue in so many jurisdictions now. Uh, I don't think we have so far seen many greenwashing claims in Singapore. But I very much suspect that it's on many financial institutions' radars. Wilson, what sort of steps should financial institutions be taking now to prevent any such greenwashing claims arising? Yeah, thanks, Simon. And as I hear Claire talk about the traffic light, the green, amber, and the red, I was thinking about greenwashing as well. And no, no doubt uh, there are parties who would want to do that so that their investments and their transactions go through under that so-called green lane when uh, when they might not actually qualify for it. And increasing regulatory scrutiny is certainly on the cards. Um, greenwashing can be approached from a variety of angles. One of them is um, through advertising claims. And these advertising claims currently that relate to environmental sustainability are regulated by consumer protection laws and guidelines issued by the Advertising Standards Authority of Singapore. Uh, and these are, there are also specific disclosure requirements for listed company and funds, which protect against uh, green warning. The, um, for, for Singapore uh, issuers, uh, for in, in particular for retail ESG funds, reporting guidelines uh, were also issued to mitigate greenwashing green risks. And under these guidelines, the funds are required to provide clear disclosures on their ESG investment objectives and approach, the criteria and metrics, as well as regular updates on how the ESG objectives are being met. There are other laws um, in Singapore, including the Singapore Consumer 
Protection Fair Trading Act of 2003 that protects consumers against false or misleading claims. And this is this piece of law is administered by the Competition and Com Consumer Commission of Singapore, the CCCS, that will likely be the responsible agency with oversight of these greenwashing concerns. Um, well, you're right that we have yet to see reported cases where a regulator has you know, significant, investigated significant greenwashing claims. The regulatory trend in Singapore is moving clearly towards the adoption of global baseline regulations on sustainability issues. I think that then sets up the likelihood for such claims of greenwashing to be investigated going forward. So it would be prudent for financial institutions to just really uh, monitor the space, uh, actively invest in building robust uh, frameworks and capabilities to make sure that data on climate is adequate and sufficient to back up any claims on products and processes and such that they'll be able to comply with and explain uh, the reporting and the disclosure that they would have undertaken. And likewise, while we have yet to see litigation involving greenwashing being commenced in Singapore, I think it's fair to say globally there's a trend in such cases whereby companies need to be alive to the risks of litigation and directors to be conscious of personal liability arising from this kind of regulatory scrutiny and the clamping down of greenwashing. Uh, a recent study by a local university in Singapore uh, actually tried to explore the likelihood of shareholder litigation in Singapore, in particular against directors for breach of directors' duties arising out of climate-related decisions. And I think while the study actually came to the view that uh, such shareholder litigation is not very active and the environment is not very conducive for it. Uh, the, the, the report seeks to push the uh, proposition that perhaps this ought to be a way to effect change by taking shareholder litigation claims and actions against directors. So th there are quarters that are pushing for uh, for such changes to, to be to be occurring. And well, I mean, just to perhaps round up our recommendations for financial institutions and businesses in general, are to really take active steps to educate their directors on sustainability issues to ensure that they are equipped to tackle such decisions on behalf of the company. And we don't want to have um, you know, unwanted allegations of greenwashing, so some safeguards would be ensuring that there is clear language in any kind of advertising or disclosures that are being made, businesses ought to be clear and specific when they are making environmental claims, explaining any kind of technical terms, steering away from vague phrases that may uh, end up being difficult to substantiate or is, uh, can be potentially misleading. Uh, another safeguard is to make sure that any statement made is data-driven and that there is supporting evidence for it, objective underlying uh, information to substantiate green claims uh, would, would really help towards going uh, this, when, when substantiating the descriptions given towards a product or a service and its environmental impact. And having whistleblowing arrangements in place where people can speak up and raise concerns to ensure that uh, whether they be customers or shareholders or other interest groups, that there is an avenue for the airing of concerns and grievances 
that will pro provide businesses with a what we call an early warning system in relation to any potential issues before they get out of hand. And in tandem with that would be to have an effective response to these complaints. If concerns are being raised, uh, they should be taken seriously and investigated for the company to understand the root cause. And taking internal and external legal advice would be important to understand the potential exposure and to best mitigate any kind of liability with a clear record um, documentation of decision making being kept as a matter of good governance to prevent any kind of uh, reoccurrence of, uh, of statements that ought not to have been made. So while Singapore has yet to make specific regulations on greenwashing, and targeting greenwashing as a, an aspect. Uh, as a further step, I think multinational businesses should align their approach towards green claims globally. And, um, and that's, that's where I think looking at the useful guides from other jurisdictions like the EU uh, would, be, would be a good step for businesses within Singapore to take as well. Okay, thank you, Wilson. Uh, fascinating. My thanks also to Claire for sharing her thoughts. Uh, that concludes the Singapore section of this podcast. So in this section of the podcast, I'm very pleased to be joined by our financial services partner in Amsterdam, Florja Nackelkirk. And Florja, it's great to have you with us today. I just wanted to touch on the new guideline on sustainability claims that the Dutch Authority for the Financial Markets, the AFM, published on 4th of October following its consultation earlier in the year. The guideline applies to financial institutions and pensions providers. Uh, to start with, uh, can you describe for our listeners what the purpose of the guideline is? Of course, Simon. Thank you. So the purpose of the guideline is to provide market participants with the necessary tools to make accurate, clear and non-misleading sustainability claims. Okay. And how does it do this? So the guideline provides for three main principles on how to indeed make a fair sustainable sustainability claim. And uh, each of the principles complement each other. So they are that the claims should be uh, accurate, representative and up to date. Uh, they should be specific and substantiated, and they must be understandable, appropriate, and easy to find. So, and under each of those principles, the AVM provides further explanation and examples. So, for example, in relation to the principle that sustainability claims must be accurate, the AVM states that accurate means that the information corresponds to reality. It sounds quite obvious but well they now put it on paper sustainability claims can also be incorrect if contradictions occur in the information this applies both within a document and between different information carriers it then gives examples regarding uh, fossil industry investments and policy on international corporate social responsibility okay so we have the principles we've got further explanation and some very useful examples um what does the guideline say about sustainability claims being specific and substantiated? So again, uh, the ASM provides uh, some further discussion on this principle and includes examples of good and poor practices. 
uh, and in particular, the AFM states that a concrete sustainability claim provides a clear insight into the relevant characteristics of the product or the market participant. The concern is that a vague description or sustainability claims uh, may give a wrong or incomplete picture of the product or the market participant. So the AFM states that claims uh, can be supplemented with clear specifications or explanations regarding the sustainability aspects of the product or market participant. And also specifying sustainability claims means uh, providing information uh, with the context so that the readers can correctly appreciate the claim and ensure that the information remains sufficiently concise so that readers retain an overview and um, further substantiation and explanation can be presented in layers if necessary. Okay, um, when do the guidelines come into force? Um, as of now, so they, they the guidelines now apply, so it's immediate effect. Okay, and um, I mentioned at the beginning that the final version of the guideline followed an earlier consultation that the AFM conducted earlier in the year. And along with the final version of the guideline, the AFM has published a feedback statement indicating what it has done with the responses it received to its consultation. And the feedback statement is only in Dutch um, at the moment. Is there anything in particular you would pick out from the feedback statement? So um, a number of the respondents expressed um, their their well desire for more good practices in the guidelines. So the AFM included two additional good practices. One where it describes a good practice of how a market party or market participant can create a representative uh, picture of sustainable sustainable impact, and a second one on how market parties can provide concrete insight into sustainable investments. Okay, so. We've got the final guideline. Uh, what should Dutch companies be doing now? So the Dutch companies, I think, uh, should consider the guideline when preparing their sustainability disclosures or any, um, well, it's a very broad concept. So any anything that they, information wherein they include sustainability uh, concepts and rules on sustainability disclosures contain a lot of open standards. So the guideline provides uh, guidance uh, on how to correctly implement the open disclosure standards. Um, the guideline does so by providing overarching principles, further explanation and practical exa examples. So they can they can look at that and consider that when they are drafting their own. Um, it's it sort of the, the principles sort of sound obvious if, if you if you look at it from a, um, a normal point of view, but typically they and they, they have been seen instances where for instance the information was not up to date or where the uh, claims were a bit specific so i think this is really uh, a good line to keep in hand uh, once you when we are draft, drafting your uh, disclosures okay um essential reading for dutch financial institutions and pension providers uh, mm -hmm. thanks florja for joining us today that concludes the dutch section of the podcast So in this section of our Regulation Around the World podcast, we now move to Dubai, where ESG is a very, very big issue at the moment, particularly in light of the 28th United Nations Climate Change Conference, more commonly known as COP28, being held from November the 30th until December the 12th this year at the Expo City Dubai. 
I'm very pleased to be joined by Hassan Ali Pirbai, an associate in our Dubai office. And I just wanted to touch, Hass, on the Dubai Sustainable Finance Working Group, which seeks to promote sustainable practices and investments in Dubai and the DIFC. Uh, recently, the working group has issued a new consultation. Uh, for our podcast listeners, can you briefly cover the paper for us? Thank you, Simon. Uh, now, just by way of background, the Sustainable Finance Working Group uh, consists of the four key regulators in the UAE. That's the Central Bank, the Securities and Commodities Authority, the Dubai Financial Services Authority, which is a regulator in the BIFC, and the Financial Services Regulatory Authority, which is the regulator in the ADGM. Now, when they were set up, they gave themselves a roadmap of three key deliverables. Disclosure which is to strengthen sustainability-related disclosures, governance, which is to foster sustainable corporate governance, and taxonomy, which is to develop uh, uh, sustainability-related taxonomy for sustainable activities. The paper, which they released just a couple of weeks ago, touches on the first of that uh, key deliverable disclosure. What this consultation paper does is sets out four principles to be treated as a as a minimum guidance for disclosure frameworks for sustainability. These broadly align with the IFRS regulations for disclosure, uh, sustainability related financial information. And I'll quickly run through these uh, um, four principles for you. First principle is policies, procedures, and systems. What the expectation here is that there'll be internal reporting systems to monitor and report on material sustainability-related risks. Um, There's also an expectation for timely reporting of data and information both to the board and to the public. The second principle is on sustainability-related risks and opportunities. This essentially identifies various factors to consider when making sustainability-related disclosures. The idea is that these factors would provide a roadmap for consistency in uh, reporting, and it really ties into the third principle, which is minimum disclosure requirements for sustainability-related disclosures. What they've done here is that they've really taken the four pillars from the IFRS 1 reports. and put them in here. And those four pillars are governance, strategy, risk management, metric, and targets. And the idea is that there'll be uh, these pillars will help guide and set out minimum disclosure and information expected to be disclosed for each category. The fourth and final principle is on dealing with and offering sustainability-related products. Now. What this does, it essentially sets out factors to consider when offering sustainability-related products. These factors range from naming, labeling, classification, and marketing materials. And the real idea here is to avoid greenwashing. They want to clearly avoid misrepresenting sustainability-related features of products being offered to the market. This consultation paper is only the first 
deliverable. Um, there's two more to go, governance and taxonomy, and we definitely expect a lot more action to happen both during and after the COP28 conference. Okay, Hath, that's very interesting. Thank you for, for sharing that. That concludes the UAE section of this podcast. So that concludes this Regulation Around the World podcast covering financial services developments in ESG. Uh, my thanks to all of my colleagues who joined us today to provide their insights and thoughts on developments in their jurisdictions. Uh, we very much hope that you found this podcast useful. And don't forget, there is also a written up data that accompanies this podcast, which covers ESG financial services developments in over 10 jurisdictions. Uh, that update can be found on the regulation around the world microsite located on the Norton Rose Fulbright website. Many thanks for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>